Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. In this edition, there is no guests, so it's going to be a lot of me talking about various news items from both horror and wrestling, as I want to catch up on some of them that I missed as I've spent the last two episodes going over the best of 2021. So I want to take this episode to catch up on all that stuff. Also, I want to talk about something that's been really bugging me, I think, personally in the last couple of months, as I really pondered this question. Is the New England horror scene dead? Because literally, looking at the horror convention scene this year in New England, there's literally just two Monster Expo shows and CT Horror Fest. That's it. It's like, there's no major show in the New England area. As you see major horror shows happening in the New York, New Jersey area. You see that in Chicago. You see that in all the major areas. But in the New England area, where you have Boston as a major city, there isn't a major horror show in this area. I will talk about that in this episode because I do have some words to say about this as I need to get this off my chest. Then, in What's Anthony T watching since no one voted in my poll, which I put up on Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Facebook page, nobody voted on it. So I picked a film that used people probably would want to hear a review of. It's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Starring Old Man Leatherface. I'll go more into it when I get into that in What's Anthony T. Watching, as that film recently dropped on Netflix. Let's start off with some horror news. Let's start off with the most talked about topic on the podcast. Jason Blum and Blumhouse Productions. Now, this is a film that I was not looking forward to. Because seriously, Jason Blum puts out a ton of stuff. Some of it I don't want to watch. Or I don't have the time. Or it doesn't even look interesting to me. Case in point, the Firestarter remake. Now when Jason Blum announced that he was doing a remake of Stephen King's Firestarter, I did not care about this film. Seriously. I didn't care about it because literally I did not think it needed to be remade, quite frankly. The original is good enough. But, and here's the thing that made me interested in this film all of a sudden. When they released the trailer for Firestarter, they announced that the music for the film is being done by, wait for it, wait for it, John Carpenter. Yes, that same John Carpenter that directed the original Halloween, The Thing, and countless other classic horror films. I was very surprised when I found this out, seriously, because literally, this is a film that literally was not on my radar until I found out John Carpenter was involved in some way. If John Carpenter is involved in some way, then it does bring some credibility to the project and to the film. And it's now gotten me interested in the film. Because 
John Carpenter is a master of horror. John Carpenter doesn't do film scores for ordinary films. So, he must have liked something in this Firestarter remake that wanted him to do the score along with Cody Carpenter and Daniel Davies. The same people behind the rebooted Halloween and Halloween Kills scores. And they both were very good scores, quite frankly. So, this does bring a level of credibility to this film that probably needed. Because, quite frankly, nobody was interested in this Firestarter remake. Until now. Because, I'm going to see it now. Because I'm actually looking forward to this film. For better or worse, but still... If you have John Carpenter's name on something, it usually means he probably likes something about it to do a score or direct. So I can't wait to see this film, quite frankly. This film will be coming out May 13th in theaters and on streaming on the Peacock streaming service. That's right, this film will be... Both in theaters and streaming. I don't know if the thing is Universal and Blumhouse is anticipating this film to be a flop. But at least it's streaming. So that means I'll probably be watching it on Peacock. Because literally, when you do this theater and streaming debut on the same day, I'm always going to choose the streaming services. If I have the streaming service. Because there's literally no sense in going to the theater. Quite frankly. And this is the new thing here. With all this talk about films coming on 45 days after their initial release. It's going to open me to a lot of films that I probably would have not seen in theaters. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. Sure, I'll rush out to see the big films. Like, say, The Batman, or the next Halloween film, if everything's okay. I probably will watch that in theaters. But, for this to debut both on streaming and in theaters, it's very interesting. On the same day. Can't wait to check this film out. Moving on. Now, you might know, I sometimes may use the term, Films Being Held Hostage. Now, this is a term I usually associate with Lionsgate films because they have a vast library of horror films that are not on on Blu-ray. Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 comes to mind. But this takes the cake when it comes to a film being held hostage by a major studio. Now, to lay the subtext... Of how this film ended up becoming hostage. You have to go back to 2008. In a French film called Inside. I'm talking about the original Inside. The French version. Not the American remake. The film is about a woman who is being stalked by another woman who wants her unborn baby. And would stop at nothing to get it. This is one of the most creepiest 
home invasion films I've ever seen. It's very gory and worth definitely checking out. Well, the film did w so well, I believe, in video stores that the film's distributors, Dimension Films, which was run by Harvey and Bob Weinstein, picked up the film Livid. But there was a catch to Livid. They had no intentions of releasing the French version of the film. Instead, they wanted to remake the film and make an American version of it, completely shelving the French version of it. And once the American version got canceled and abandoned, the film became held hostage, meaning it just sat on a shelf for years where nobody would see it. And this was a film I was very interested in seeing after really loving the duo's film Inside. It is a great suspenseful thriller, which people should check out because that film will be coming to Shudder in March, along with the debut of Livid. That's right, Shudder will be releasing Livid for the first time in America. There's only one problem with this film, Livid. This film was done in 2011, and we're in 2022, everybody. Meaning, this film was literally held hostage as during that period between 2011 and today, we've had the formation of the VHS series. The formation of the Purge series. The formation of the Conjuring universe. We've also had some great films such as It Follows. A great Evil Dead remake. The Witch. And we also had Jamie Lee Curtis return to the Halloween series as Laurie Strode in the Halloween reboot. In Halloween Kills. We also had Bruce Campbell return as Ash Williams one last time in the TV series Ash vs. Evil Dead. That's how long it's been since Livid was acquired by Dimension Films. Until today where it's going to be released on Shudder in March. If that doesn't tell you the definition of what a film held hostage means, I don't know what is. This went a lot between 2011 and 2022. The length in which Livid has been held hostage. But I'm thankful it's finally getting a release. But still, I don't know why this film was held hostage for almost 11 years, literally. By the way, the Weinsteins held this film hostage for this long a period. It really killed the duo. Seriously, after that great film Inside, nobody got to see Livid, meaning it really killed whatever momentum that duo had with Inside. I just don't get why it took 11 years to finally have this film see the light of day here in America. It was released everywhere else in the world. But thankfully, again, Shudder has come through. It's proof that Shudder is probably the greatest horror streaming service out there today. Seriously. 
as they're really doing a lot of great stuff on that channel. And it is really a horror film lover's dream. I know it's not perfect. doesn't have every great horror series. But still, to have these unearthed films coming to Shudder. We had it last year with The Amusement Park. And this year we're getting it with Livid. It just amazes me that we're starting to see films that I never thought I'd get a chance to see. Because I literally gave up on this duo. Seriously. I was very into this duo after a great first film. And now, after I see Livid, I don't know what to think. Just, I don't like seeing films held hostage. And this is the problem. When you hold off releases for way too long. But thankfully, it'll be on Shutter in March. As they have a great French film lineup coming in March. Including Busto and Maury's Inside. You also have the French version of Modders, Frontiers, and more. Shutter is just a great streaming service. Can't wait to check out Livid. Finally, in horror news. Paramount Pictures recently announced a bunch of Quiet Place news. That's right. Between episodes, they announced not one piece of Quiet Place news, but two pieces of a Quiet Place news. First off, they released that there is a spin-off film in the works for A Quiet Place. The spin-off is set to be released in September 2023. Not sure when they're going to stop filming this film, but doing a spin-off for A Quiet Place, to me, I don't know if we really need to have spin-off films for this series because usually this does not go well look at the conjuring universe you have some films that are hits and some films that are misses why do we really need a spin-off of a quiet place quite frankly we do not need to create a quiet place universe like the walking dead universe this isn't the walking dead and after a while it will become boring because you're telling the same story with different characters. When you start telling the same story with different characters, sometimes you tend to repeat yourself. And doing a, a Quiet Place universe is not a good idea, in my opinion. Because this is going to lead to... Weakening the overall franchise of the first two films. And there's literally no need for it. Seriously. There is absolutely no need for a Quiet Place spinoff. Unless we're getting a prequel to see how these monsters invaded Earth. I really do not need to see a Quiet Place spinoff film. There's really no need from it. If you watch the first two films, there's literally no reason for a spinoff of this franchise. Unless you're going to have a spinoff be the prequels, there is no need for a Quiet Place universe. You're going to run into the same traps as the Conjuring universe, 
And you're going to run into the same traps in the Walking Dead universe. Because after a while, everything's just going to become repetitive. It's just like, insert different characters, same story. So, unless this is a prequel, I don't know how this is going to work. Seriously. At least with The Conjuring, you have all these different stories you can tell. With all these urban legends. Because, seriously... I don't see how a Quiet Place spinoff is going to work unless it's a prequel. Meaning, the beginning of the whole reason why the world's going chaotic in that series. Now let's move on to A Quiet Place Part 3. As recently, the Hollywood Reporter reported that A Quiet Place 3 will be arriving in theaters sometime in 2025. That means a good three years away. So that means we're probably getting a time jump from A Quiet Place 2 to A Quiet Place 3. Which would be interesting. Because my theory on this is there probably will be a time jump from A Quiet Place 2 to A Quiet Place 3. Because I kind of... I would find it very hard for it to pick up from A Quiet Place 2. Considering that was released in 2021... And the next film will be released in 2025. So, if I have to guess what A Quiet Place 3 is going to be, it probably will involve a time jump in some sorts. I don't know what it will be, but still, maybe that's interesting. This isn't Halloween Kills to Halloween Ends where, oh, we need a four-year time jump. Because slasher films... You don't need a four-year time jump. But for a monster invasion, alien invasion film, that might be interesting. Because to see how the landscape of everything in which the family from A Quiet Place is surviving years into this invasion where pretty much the monsters, the aliens, whatever you call them, have pretty much taken over the Earth. Spoiler alert if anybody hasn't seen A Quiet Place or A Quiet Place 2. Because I really don't see them picking up from A Quiet Place 2. Because that would be kind of ridiculous in my opinion. If you're going to do two and three, four years apart. So I really hope that there's a time jump. This is one of those rare cases where there needs to be a time jump. And I don't want to hear anybody complain. Oh, you complain about Halloween ends and kills Halloween kills and Halloween ends doing a time jump Halloween kills and Halloween ends are slasher films it's not a monster film it's not an invasion film it's a slasher film the only thing Halloween kills to Halloween ends does it makes old man Myers even older it makes no sense for a slasher film to have a four-year time jump. Now, if you did a time jump from A Quiet Place 2 to A Quiet Place 3, it would make more sense doing a time jump from Halloween Kills to Halloween Ends because with A Quiet Place 2 to A Quiet Place 3, you can show the effects of years pass by when the monsters first landed on the earth and started literally killing people. And this family struggling to survive through the years. So, A Quiet Place 2 to A Quiet Place 3, if they're going to go four years between films, 
it is absolutely necessary that there is a time jump between films. And with that, that's our news. Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here. The discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. Speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back. In wrestling news, pretty much the biggest news story between episodes is the fact that Cody Rhodes is no longer in all elite wrestling. This was confirmed by both Cody Rhodes and Tony Khan that that Rhodes, along with his wife Brandy Rhodes, have left AEW. Cody Rhodes was last seen on the January 26th edition of Dynamite where he lost the TNT Championship in a ladder match against Sammy Guevara in which both TNT titles were hung up on the ceiling. That is a really great match. If you can try to find it somewhere on the internet. That piece of news really shocked me a lot, because I really thought Cody was a lifer in AEW, because the way WWE treated him first time around with Stardust... Remember that gimmick that Cody had in WWE? So that really was shocking to find out. And Brandy Road was also was supposed to, I guess, start a program with Paige Van Sant. As the last time Brandy Rhodes appeared on AEW television, she ended up getting attacked by Paige Van Sant. So this makes it even more mind-boggling why... Now that both Cody and Brandy are leaving, if they were going to try to start something with Brandy Rhodes and Patreon Sant, the MMA fighter, for those people who don't know. So, this is surprising. What's even more surprising is there are major rumors that Cody Rhodes will be going back to WWE. And for me, this is a shocker. Seriously. If this is true, this is very shocking. Because the real reason Cody left was because of WWE and the whole Stardust gimmick. So this literally is shocking news. How do I think he would fare in WWE now? I don't know. Seriously. 
You never know anything with Vince McMahon. Seriously. Maybe he gets pushed to be a top star like Roman Reigns. Or maybe he gets thrown back to the mid-card where he was before he left WWE. I just don't know. But he has a lot of name value now compared to back then. So I would think WWE would put him in the main event scene. But this is WWE, everyone. They don't know what they're doing. Because Vince McMahon really pushes older people or people that really, who shouldn't be pushed, seriously. You can only do Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns so many times. But again, look at, for example, this WrestleMania card. There's going to be a lot of pot-timers having matches on that show. And maybe you're having two celebrities having matches as well, as there's rumors that Logan Paul and Johnny Knoxville will be having matches at WrestleMania this April. But if Vince backs up the Brinks truck, I can't blame Cody for taking the money. Seriously. If Vince is willing to overpay for Cody, then I don't blame him for taking the money. But here's the thing. I don't want to hear it from Cody when he complains again if he gets pulled down to the mid-card again. Because, dude, you took the money. Why are you complaining? For $5 million, I wouldn't mind sitting on the mid-card, quite frankly. But then, I hope nothing for the best for Cody. And then again, this could be all a major work like some people think. Me, probably not. Because if this was a work by AEW... WWE would have exposed it by now, knowing Vince McMahon. He would have exposed the fact that this whole Cody saga with his contract is an angle. So I'm not buying the fact that it's an angle for on AEW programming. Cody Rhodes is gone from AEW, and that's that. Company will survive. You still got Brian Danielson, CM Punk. It's going to give that spot to probably one of their younger talent, probably MJF. As if you haven't seen MJF's latest promo on the February 23rd edition of Dynamite, this guy is going to be a main eventer. And I really think he's going to be a main eventer in that promotion way sooner than later. As right now, he's in the upper mid card to main event. But he's going to be a main eventer probably by the end of this year, guaranteed. So AEW's not hurting if Cody Rhodes leaves. Speaking of wrestlers leaving companies, Cesaro recently left WWE. As his contract with WWE has run out, meaning he's a free agent alongside Cody. Now Cesaro is a very good talent. I always loved Cesaro. Whether it's his work in Ring of Honor, Jakara, his work is great. In WWE, I think they dropped the ball on this guy. This guy is great in the ring. This guy has a presence and charisma that if allowed to connect with the fans, he would have been probably a huge babyface. Because with that giant swing he has, that should have been over more than he was in the company. I know he was over when he was with Sheamus with 
their tag team, The Bar. But for the most part, Cesaro is a very talented wrestler. And I think he could do wonders for a promotion like AEW, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's a very good talent. The guy won multiple tag team championships. And he won the U.S. championship once. But I think WWE never realized the talent that they had when he was there. He's just such a great worker. He's one of those guys where I love watching every time. Seriously. But it was just so hard to watch him in WWE because they kept having him jobbing out to people. And it's like, why should I care about a wrestler if you're just going to have him job out every week? Thankfully now he's gone from WWE after them and him could not reach a contract extension. Meaning he's free to go anywhere. He can appear on Dynamite next week if he wanted to. As he has no non-compete clause. Meaning the contract ran out. He's free to do whatever he wants. I wonder where he'll pop up this WrestleMania weekend. Because it's a pretty good time to have your contract expire because WrestleMania weekend's around the corner and there's a lot of great shows running WrestleMania weekend besides WrestleMania. Because we all know Cesaro will not be on WrestleMania. So might as well go out on the indies. Maybe Joey Janela's spring break or maybe show up at an Impact Wrestling show or New Japan Strong taping. Maybe challenge Jay White as he's currently having his United States of J Open Challenges. Maybe he comes back to Ring of Honor. They're running a show WrestleMania weekend. So there's a lot of shows where you might be able to see Cesaro on WrestleMania weekend. And it's a very good time to have your contract expire. You don't have to rush signing work the indies a little bit. There's some great promotions you can work there. Game Changer Wrestling. Beyond Wrestling's another good one. Prestige Wrestling. So Cesaro will be fine. He'll find a new promotion. He will be set. There's no doubt someone will sign Cesaro. He's still talented. He's only 41. He'll find somewhere to land. That's guaranteed. But it's sad that WWE really wasted his talents. On the main roster. As he could have been a star there. Seriously. Then you can say that about pretty much half the roster in WWE. That have been released in the last year or two. Speaking of Ring of Honor which I just mentioned ago. They recently announced the first five people to be inducted to the Ring of Honor Hall of Fame. They are the Briscoe Brothers. Brian Danielson. Samoa Joe. And CM Punk. Those are... Great names to start off that promotion's Hall of Fame. As those five individuals are what Ring of Honor is. Those are the individuals that made Ring of Honor a very viable promotion in its earlier days. If it wasn't for these five talents. Jay Briscoe, Mark Briscoe, Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, CM Punk. Ring of Honor would not exist today. These guys literally put Ring of Honor on the map back all the way in 2002. Brian Danielson had a great main event match on the first show against 
Christopher Daniels and Loki. Samoa Joe's had great matches with the likes of Kenta Kobashi, Homicide, and others. CM Punk has also had some very great matches against Samoa Joe, Austin Aries, Christopher Daniels, and Brian Danielson is another great wrestler has had great matches with AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Nigel McGuinness, Homicide, and the Briscoes. They've had some really wild and insane tag team matches. Age of the Fool come to mind. Steen Generico, the American Wolves of Davey Riches and Eddie Edwards. These five people are very well deserving of being in the first class of the Ring of Honor Hall of Fame. I wonder if any of these people will show up at Super Cod of Honor. It'll be interesting to see if they do something for them at that event, which takes place WrestleMania weekend. And finally, in wrestling news, former WWE star Adam Scherzer, a.k.a. Braun Strowman, and EC3, who was in Ring of Honor before they restructured, are launching a new wrestling company. They're calling their wrestling company Control Your Narrative. The whole Control Your Narrative project came about from an idea. It started off with cinematic matches. And now it's becoming a wrestling promotion run by wrestlers. And here's the big thing about this company. They say they have a TV deal that is imminent. They've already announced two shows. March 5th in Orlando, then March 31st, Dallas, Texas, TV taping special, March 31st, WrestleMania weekend. We do not know who the network is that will be airing Control Your Narrative. Here's the thing about this. I really am very skeptical of this promotion. That this promotion was able to get a TV deal without running an actual show. I know they did a couple of cinematic matches, but they have not ran an actual show. So, I don't know what to expect with this promotion. This could be a good idea or a bad idea. And again, we don't know what the TV deal is yet for controlling your narrative. So, that's something also to look out for. Talent that is slated to be on those shows include National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Champion Matt Cardona, Moose, Matt Seidel, Weston Blake, Matt Taven, and more. And on March 31st, we'll have the much-anticipated debut of Killer Cross. I find it very hard to believe that this promotion has gotten a TV deal without running an actual show. So, I don't know what to expect with Control Your Narrative. So, that's something to keep an eye out for. But, right now, I really don't have much stock in this promotion. But, hey, it's good that it's another wrestling promotion. And maybe this succeeds. At the end of the day, it's great to have all these wrestling promotions succeeding because it gives wrestlers places to work. I really hope the best for Control Your Narrative, and I hope this is a promotion that succeeds. 
It would be good to have another promotion on the level of Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, and so on. It gives places for people to work, and that's a good thing. And with that, that's wrestling news. Hey guys, this is Steven Christina. I'm the founder, owner, creator, and host of Super Retro Throwback Reviews. Are you looking for the best movie reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, and Comic-Con coverage all around? Well then look no further. Definitely check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on YouTube. And our new audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Files version 2.0 on the following media distributors. Podbean, Google Play, Stitchers, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Class is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Every day, there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scares That Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. The following commentary represents the views of Anthony T's horror and wrestling show and not of the Doc Discussions Network, meaning it's the views of mine and mine only. Welcome back. Now, this episode, I had a lot of things to say about horror that I had to catch up on. I had a lot of things on wrestling I had to catch up on. So, this episode, there is no guest. Because there's also something else I want to get off my chest. And it has to do with literally what to look forward to in the year 2022 in terms of horror conventions in the New England area. Yeah, that's right. That's my expression on what I'm looking forward to in terms of horror conventions this year. Because quite frankly, this hardly any. You got Monster Expo, which I went to last year. It was an okay show. I'm not a fan of the venue. It just, it felt too small. I know it's a small show, but it just felt too cluttered in. But still, I didn't mind. I had a good time when I was there. But still, to me, that doesn't feel like a horror con. It felt like more like a marketplace, if anything. Then you get CT Horror Fest. Yes, they're running two days, but they're running on a Friday and a Saturday. In a place where the building looks so old and looks more like an office building. No offense to the Nortucket Event Center. is not a good place. I'm sorry. It just it feels old. doesn't feel like that convention atmosphere you would get, say, at a Scarecon or at a hotel-like convention. And that's it for our conventions this year, as of now. 
it really starts to make me think, is there really a horror scene in the New England area? I know PVD Horror does stuff. Don't get me wrong. I know they're around. But I don't see much of a horror scene. Especially from the southeastern New England area. Up north in Boston, you don't see any horror conventions at all. Why, I don't know. Because Boston would be a good place to run a horror convention. I don't understand why there's no horror conventions ever in Boston. Seriously. It is a great place to run one. I don't understand why nobody has taken the chance to run a horror convention up in Boston. That would be a great place for a horror convention. It's in the big city of Boston. You get a lot of people there. I just don't get that. Seriously. It's like at times I don't think the whole New England area doesn't care about horror. As you look at New York, New Jersey, there's tons of horror conventions. Monster Mania. You also have a couple of sci-fi horror conventions in New York. You have Chiller Theater. You have the New Jersey Film Festival and a horror convention. It's like Pennsylvania. You have Pennsylvania Market. You have the horror convention there too. A couple of them. It's like up in the mid-Atlantic states, it's a big area for horror. Here in New England, there is none. We have to drive all the way down to... New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, if you want to go to a horror convention. And that's really sad. I don't understand why nobody has taken an opportunity or a risk to grow a show in the New England area. It's primed for a big horror convention. There are horror fans in New England. It's just nobody runs shows in New England. I don't get it. What is it? What, no, they're afraid nobody will show up? It's not it's to make me wonder now, since there hasn't been a new show announced, and we're getting to the point where we're starting to get past COVID, that there, there's no new shows coming. It's just like, we're just stuck with CT Horror Fest, and pretty much that's it for major horror conventions. And that's not good for the horror community here in New England. It feels like the further you get to New York, that's where everybody comes from. It's like, there's a scene there, but is there really a scene in the New England area? Because I'm really questioning it. Because you don't see horror conventions in New England anymore. You didn't. You only saw like one major horror convention last year in New England, and that's it. Nobody has announced any new shows Yes, I know it's early in the year, but if you're going to announce a new show, you better be announcing it, in my opinion, by April, May, the latest, just to get the word out that you're having a show in the fall. Because if you're going to have a show in the summer, you should be getting your name out right now, quite frankly. But I haven't seen any new conventions pop up in the New England area. Is this a dead area for horror? Because I always question this. Seriously. We had Scarecon and Rock and Shock both fold right before COVID. And when that happened, it took a dagger to the New England horror convention scene. Terracon's not coming back, obviously. Because I really don't see that coming back at all. As Altered Reality Entertainment... I think it's folded that show. 
I just don't know. Is New England a dead area for horror? Because to me, it feels like it. There are not many horror groups, major ones, as I could probably think of maybe one or two off the top of my head. And basically, there is nothing planned convention-wise with the exception of CT Horror Fest and Monster Expo. There's that show late April, early May. It just feels like the horror scene in New England is dead. I hope it isn't true. Seriously. Because I can't fathom the only horror convention in New England that is of note is CT Horror Fest. Because if that's the case, then maybe the horror scene in New England is dead. Maybe COVID took out the New England horror scene. As you don't see anybody trying to stock conventions. Since everything's pretty much opened up again. Seriously. There are days where I feel like the horror scene in New England is dead. Quite frankly. I don't mean to really rant about this here on this podcast. But I really don't know if there's a horror scene in New England. Quite frankly. I wish there is. Seriously. I hope there is. I hope it comes back in a resurgence this year. Because if it doesn't start to come back this year, we're going to be in a period where we literally only have one major horror convention. And it's CT Horror Fest, for better or worse, in the Nantucket Event Center. And it's sad because at one time you had at least three, four horror conventions in New England. Now we are down to one big show and one small show. I really hope there's another convention coming this year. Seriously. Because CT Harfest can't be the only major convention in New England. I literally refuse to believe that. And if it is, then maybe the horror scene in the New England area is completely dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is Carrie. This is Billy. This is Mr. Bo. And we are from a podcast from beneath. You can catch us every Wednesday wherever you find your favorite podcast. You'll find Anthony T's Power and Wrestling Show on these social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Anthony T's Power and Wrestling and on Twitter at Anthony T's Power. You'll find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and What's Anthony T watching this episode? Well, yours truly couldn't get a vote for any of the four films that were randomly chosen. In the You Choose What Film Anthony T is Watching. So yours truly has decided, you know what, I'll watch my first film of 2022. My first horror film, to be exact, of 2022. Meaning, it has to be released in 2022. And the film is the highly anticipated Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Starring Old Man Letterface. Yes, Old Man Leatherface. Now, before I get into Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I would like to let 
everyone know that this film was shot in Bulgaria. Meaning, this film technically should be called The Bulgarian Chainsaw Massacre. Because this film was shot in Bulgaria and nothing looked like Texas in this film. No offense. But since this film is shot in Bulgaria and the fact that it's on Netflix, yours truly has decided to see this film. Because, well, it's an anticipated horror film, first of all. And second of all, I was curious on how they were going to pull this off. Now, this is a sequel, not a reboot. Meaning they're retconning everything. Meaning Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and the new generation, I believe, don't exist in this universe. I could be wrong, but this feels like a sequel to the original film. You couldn't tell it was a sequel to the original film. But it's a sequel to the original film. You couldn't tell it's a true sequel to the original film because the character of Sally Hodesty felt like a minor character in this film. Why in the world is that character a minor character in this film? It's like Laurie Strode being a minor character in a Halloween film. Oh, wait a minute. That kind of happened... With Laurie Strode in Halloween Kills. But still, this character gets less screen time than Laurie Strode's character got in Halloween Kills. It's ridiculous. Seriously. This film should have been centered around Sally Hodesty. Not a bunch of millennials. Why did they go with this route? I knew they would go in this route, but... I would have hoped they gave Sally Hodesty more screen time in this film. Because she's an essential character to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. In this film, she might as well just be another character, quite frankly. As this film was just made with the intent of having Leatherface kill a bunch of millennials. Seriously. The screenplay is bad. This film is only 81 minutes. Why the hell is this film 81 minutes? They could have spent more time maybe building up Sally Hodesty. That would have been nice. But instead, they don't. They spent most of the time on these millennials who are so annoying. I don't get who wrote this script. It's like, here... Let's just build a film where Le Leatherface just kills a bunch of millennials. That's what this film really felt like. Don't get me wrong. The kill scenes in this film are very good. And the actor, Mark Burnham, who plays Leatherface, is also very good as Old Man Leatherface. But this film is nothing compared to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. The story is just so generic. The characters are annoying. The main dynamic between the sisters for most of this film was very flat and very uninteresting. I really don't know how this film failed. It has some gruesome kills. And without that, this film is really... A one-star film. This is probably, at best, a two-star film. Because, seriously, I don't get the fact 
that this film does not continue the story from the original film back in the 70s. If it did, then Sally would have had a much major role in this film. I don't get whoever wrote this film. It's like they put the character there so they can say, oh, we put the character there to pay homage and have another connection to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because that character does nothing in this film. When another iconic final girl is there just to be there for the sequel, then you have problems with your film. See Friday the 13th Part 2 for that example. Because watch the first 10 minutes of Friday the 13th Part 2. Because that's another waste of a final girl who survived the first film only to be wasted in the sequel, story-wise. I really, if anything, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or I, what I like to call it, Bulgarian Chainsaw Massacre, is nothing but a guilty pleasure film, because the film had some very good kill scenes, and that's it. It's not like Halloween Kills, where you can say, oh, this film has some very brutal kill scenes, but at least it had... Some better story-wide substance than this film. Because this film doesn't even attempt to create a coherent story. Or continue on the story of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because the way it treats the final girl of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is pathetic. And it's right up there with Friday the 13th Part 2 as worse examples to treat the final girl from the first film in the sequel. This is bad. Seriously. I might give it one star. I might give it two stars. I can't figure out what to give this film. As literally, this film has no substance story-wise. But at least it has a very killer bus scene and a very gory and shocking ending. But that's not enough. For a film to be a very good horror film. I'm sorry. I cannot give this a positive review. I just wanted Sally Hyde Esty more involved. Sadly, if you're thinking she's a major part in this film. She's just a minor character. And that's what hurts this film a lot. As this film should have been more focused on her. And not a bunch of millennial kids trying to buy up property in a ghost town. Only to meet old man Leatherface. Coming up on the next episode of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show, I will definitely have a guest, and I will give you a hint. It has to do with an Indiegogo campaign. That's the only thing I'm telling you about my guest next episode. So, I may have one I'm working on possibly another guest for episode 74. So we may get two guests on episode 74. Something different for a change. I'm working on that second guest. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, considering this episode is pretty much me and me only. I appreciate everyone listening to this podcast. 
Don't forget, you can follow this podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling, on Twitter at Anthony T's Horror, and the Slash app at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and like this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day and support indie wrestling and support indie horror.